0: So you've pastored in four countries now, um, what have you brought from that cross-cultural kind of perspective to what you talk about in this book? Yeah. Homes are, oh, look, the, book, the book
1: traces the paradigm of Christendom with the church building as the centre of mission and ministry. And really that was started with Constantine building churches on you know, Famous people's grave sites, and so Europe, of course, is littered with churches, and the whole Western world. And what I've tried to do in the book is to say we need to go back to the paradigm that existed in the early church. It's a dynamic two-level structure. You see in Acts, in the Pauline communities of faith across the Roman Empire, there was this almost this two-level structure. And I think for a long time within Christendom, we functioned with with one wing of the church, so to speak. The other wing has been missing. Um, I don't know if a Hindu person will come to a church. You have to answer your question more directly. I don't know if a Muslim will come to, your, to our church. I don't know. But I do know if we want to reach people, and Australia is becoming far more pluralistic. If we want to reach people of other faiths, then a home or some other third space is non-threatening, far more inviting. And in all of these cultures, I talk about hospitality in the book because in the New Testament world, hospitality was something that was subversive, but it had a cutting evangelistic edge to it. And so hospitality, as you well know, is intrinsic to Middle Eastern culture. And if I think of these people of other faiths, hey, food is a big deal, you know? Uh, and for me, you know my wife's chicken curry, a nice salad and some pumpkin would really make my day. And I know that, that would probably that would probably make a lot of other people's day in other faith traditions. So hospitality <laughs> I think, brother. So so hospitality is a big part of being able to connect, you know, with people of other faith traditions. And I think a church building in that context
0: is not the best place. Mm-hmm. You uh, make an interesting comment, and you don't say it quite this way, but, but in your community you noticed McDonald's was being more church than church. <laughs> uh,
1: my community as in where I live right now? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, a year or two ago, but now it now became known as the uh, the, uh, the Kulungbong store. you yeah. know. And it was quite something. We had a massive storm surge through that part of the Hunter in New South Wales. And no power, no water for almost a week. And uh, you could just sense the the angst right across the community. There was one place that was thriving, (laughs) McDonald's. And everyone, the whole community, was centered in McDonald's. Because you got your water, you got a meal, and people were in their PJs and just chilling out at McDonald's. It was crazy. And uh, here's Kurumbong with all of these churches closed. All of these churches of no effect. And so uh, I think there's a book being written called The McDonaldization of the World, and indeed the, the Christian church as well. That certainly happened too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but imagine if the churches were providing that role in that situation. Absolutely. Uh, and this is one of your focuses the church needs to be embedded, engaged uh, in the community. Um, why do you think we don't? Again,
1: I think it goes back to the church building as well. I'm all for having an awesome church building to carry out you know, ministry and mission and a place in which to worship God. Absolutely, yes. But look at the paradigm of the New Testament and I guess what could be called the third wave of reformation. You know, we saw a reformation of theology with Luther and Calvin. We saw a reformation of, of, of the Spirit in terms of Wesley and others. And I think across, across the globe there's a reformation of structure taking place. And I think that that structural change, as I read across the line of various denominations, that structural change is taking place in terms of making the church, the church's structure, aligned to mission. Now, David pointed out earlier on in two stimulating presentations the institutionalization of our church, and the danger with greater institutionalization is that the structure at the top becomes heavier and heavier. And of course we end up spending millions of dollars maintaining a top heavy structure where mission is not really being given the impetus, the financial backing, the human resources, the the financial resources. (coughs) But my thing is, let the reformation of structure begin at the local level. It's got to happen at the level of the local church where the action is, where the Spirit of God is working, where lives are being transformed, and the Gospel is making a dynamic impact in the community. So that deformation of structure, I argue in the book, has got to be about pastors, in fact, empowering and transforming leaders in the local church to become missionally
0: driven and missionally focused. So you, um, one of the things that kind of occurred to me as I was working through this material was that you talked about, um, and you've even mentioned now, that you're not completely committed to some of the structures of small group ministry. And that really, you know, the way we've often presented small groups is that we have a large church, so we need to break everybody up into small groups, and we go through that process. But I think I wonder if you're almost suggesting an alternative paradigm of looking at this, that we actually have small churches that have a large group ministry. What do you think of that? Is that what
1: you're trying to talk about? One of the things the book talks about is... And this is what I did in ministry South Africa, particularly Nathan. Is I got... I made sure that I trained and equipped the elders. So the elders are the key to growing and expanding the ministry of the church. Um, As many of you do, I would have training sessions for elders. Train and empower them. And then I... Those elders then had a group of people within their territory. So an elder there, a group of people out of their territory. And so that elder and the homes within that territory became mission centers. And that elder then met with homes within that territory. They were able to invite people to their home. They were able to fellowship, worship together, open the word together. Um, And I would just have opportunity on a monthly basis to then meet with the elders... Who are actually engaged in the community, making connections, reaching out, and sharing God's word. So I would have a team of um, maybe up to fifteen elders who are not just shaking hands at the door, you know, not just uh, you know working on the roster on a Sabbath morning, you know, not keeping time, but elders who are actually working, Amen. elders who are actually engaged in frontline ministry. Elders who are held accountable, not just to, I mean, I kept myself accountable to the elders. I always had an elders meeting before my board meeting. Elders meeting, I'd make myself accountable to them. There's my schedule, there's my monthly plan, there's my quarterly plan, there's my yearly plan, there are my goals. That's the way I worked yearly, quarterly, monthly, weekly. So the elders could see what I was doing, but then I in turn said to them, You need to be accountable to me in terms of the team. And the work that God has called us to. So I had a big team of elders, and these elders were the ones leading out in the community in terms of what I call missional communities. Missional communities—they have a community that they care for, and that homes are open. Homes are open where people then meet on a some of them on a weekly basis. You live in a time poor community, some of them uh, twice a month. Depending on their schedule and what worked for them. But basically on a monthly basis, I would be meeting with the elders. And in the week by week or by month or bi-weekly, those elders were out in the community. And so the book kind of gives that sort of paradigm. It gives that sort of paradigm. And uh, part of the secret is growing new leaders. The secret to ministry is, of course, is giving ministry away, isn't it? That's not our ministry, it's Jesus' ministry. So we give ministry away. And we give ministry away by empowering the elders. And bringing on, I would have associate elders that I'd be training and grooming. And my elder team would be, as I say, at one church I had, uh, you know, 200 members, I had 15 elders. Uh, but those elders were working elders. And as a team, we had a very good accountability structure.
0: Do you run the risk that you're seen as critical of what the church is? Um, I would say yes. I would say yes.
1: You know, one of the um, one of the tenets of the Reformation, which we often forget, you now we sola scriptura, sola scriptus, but one of the clear tenets is the church must always be reforming. You know, so am I being critical of the church? Yes. I have a small section the Sabbath school, which is primarily an information model, and I argue in the book that Sabbath school needs to become a discipleship model. So how do you make Sabbath school into discipleship? Well so so there, there I'm being critical of the church. Uh, because Sabbath school is mainly just head tripping, you know, sharing ideas at the cerebral level. But it's not taking Sabbath school I've got you know a number of Ellen White quotations there to back up the fact that Sabbath school should be should be missional. So I'm not being critical
0: uh, it's a big yes. <laughs> a good yes, a it's, positive yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Um so if you're if you're back in a local church and you've already touched on this to some degree, some guy's written a book about how we can do things differently. What would you be doing with your elders with a resource like this? Yeah. Oh well look I think for one I'd be meeting with my elders,
1: uh, sharing with them the vision that God has within his word or for ministry, for discipleship, for multiplication. I mean, I talk in the book, and uh, I take you right through from Genesis, God's original plan was multiplication. Genesis 1, 26, 28. Go, be fruitful, and multiply. And that same Greek word in the Alex X or that same Greek word for multiplying in Genesis 1, 26. These are some of the insights. I hope the book really helps you to gain a big biblical Theology you know, in terms of what I presented. But that same word Nathan then Genesis one 26-28 is the exact same word for the church growing in Acts. You know, Acts 4, Acts 6, Acts 12, all Xana. Same Greek word. And you look at God's initial plan in Genesis, and then you look at God's plan in Acts. I mean, this stuff has been to preach, man. If you take this book, there's a you know, it's a chock full of sermons. Um It's the whole idea of multiplication. And what have we settled on? Addition! Or subtraction. You know, or maybe, oh (laughs) my, in terms of today's presentation, maybe subtraction. We celebrate addition when God has called us to multiplication. God has called us to multiplication, and what's hindered multiplication taking place is the paradigm in which we do ministry. Now, the paradigm in which our church members have been taught... (coughs) The paradigm that administrators expect of us. Right? The paradigm very often that we ourselves operate in. So it's it's a challenge to come back to a biblical paradigm. It's a challenge to come back to the methods of Jesus. The way in which Jesus carried out His ministry. And I think if we went back to a biblical model, there's enormous potential for us to begin to experience multiplication.